taking a slight detour today from our study in Luke, because if you've been here at all, you know we would be exactly covering what was just preached at 8.30. So I'm no fool. I am not going to try to outdo Dr. Phillips. We're just taking a slight detour to Matthew chapter 1. Surprise, we're dealing with the Advent again. But from a different perspective, the two Gospels that treat the Advent of Christ in some detail, Matthew and Luke, we're going to go to Matthew. I want to read, beginning in verse 18 to 25, a little bit of the story of the birth of Christ. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. What a blessing this is, a lot uh, of what we saw in, in the Gospel of Luke. But if you will... I think in Matthew, we're looking at this birth of Christ from the perspective, basically, of Joseph, the earthly father. You heard, if you were at the 830 service, about the Magnificat of Mary, looking at the perspective of Mary about the birth of her son, who is the Savior of the world. Mary was to have a child by the Holy Spirit. You say, isn't that weird? Isn't that odd? Well, it's not for us believers, is it? God does not need men to create people, just as he didn't need anybody when he brooded over the waters in Genesis chapter one and spoke and it was done. Why couldn't he do this with a child? He could, and he does here. Literally, it means the origin of Jesus Christ was like this. This is where he came from. This is very essential to our Christianity, by the way, this virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Don't, don't play this down and don't <laughs> dwell on it just because of what you hear from me. Go further than that. Uh, one great source for you is a guy named Machen who taught at Princeton Seminary before they went afoul at the turn of the last century, wrote a great book on the virgin birth of Christ that you could pick up to bolster uh, your uh, study of this. But this is a deep and mysterious event. You know, you can't explain this. This is where our faith comes in. God is true to his word. I cannot give you or some skeptical scientist some biological explanation of how this took place. I can barely give you a biological explanation of how my children got here. I mean, certain things were true, but after that, boom, what happens? I got four sons that are so different, you know, uh, you really have to look for the distinctiveness in their beings to tell who they are. That's how God works. This is mysterious. 
Christ's birth is especially seen here from the uh, vantage point of Joseph. It's very interesting. Matthew is seeing the birth of Jesus from his perspective and saying to us, this is how Jesus came to be. If you don't accept it, well, we need to pray that the Holy Spirit would give you the insight to accept this. This we have to believe because it's in the word of God. She is betrothed to Joseph, and we dealt with this last week. This is more than just the current engagement you know about in our time. This is serious. There was going to be a one-year waiting period where he's, he was going to begin to provide for her, set up house. She was going to be true to him. They were both going to be uh, pure and looking forward to that day of union, uh, perhaps a year down the road when they would have a wedding that would last about a week. Great celebration. And then they would go and begin their life together. There would be no coming together. And in light of that, boom, here comes this announcement that the Holy Spirit is going to give her a child and she's going to conceive. And before they even come together as man and wife, she is found to be with that child. This could be a serious problem, couldn't it? <laughs> I believe I dwelled on that last week. Uh, the world around would say, look at this, this bastard child. If we go back to Leviticus, let me tell you how we deal with this. Go get the stones. You know, this is serious, unlike the day in which we live. But we see, if, especially if you listen to the sermon this morning, how wonderfully uh, Mary dealt with this. What a testimony that is. What a testimony. Well, look at Jesus, or pardon me, Joseph's perplexity in all this in verse 19. Her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. This is a terrible thing that's happened here. She's been unfaithful. That's what the perspective is. Not only from Joseph initially here, but from the world around. And this tight-knit small town that they're in, they're gonna know about this. This is, this is a terrible thing. The embarrassment, <laughs> it might elude our minds today unless you're old enough to remember when this type of thing would, be, would have been embarrassing. I would say that 35 to 40% of the women I used to work with when I was at the post office were single mothers. Many of them not ever married. Many of them having multiple children with multiple partners. This is unlike that. You have to really study history to see what this would involve. Joseph's perplexed. When it says there he's a just man, we're talking about his relationship before God, okay? He is a holy man. And God doesn't just willy-nilly pick who's going to uh, sire the son of God from the earthly perspective. He's a just man. And he believes in God and the scripture. And he's considering these things. He does not want her to be put to shame. He's trying to handle this in a loving and in a godly way. So he's going to resolve in his mind and heart to divorce her quietly. I say divorce, and that's the right word to use. Like I say, their betrothment was not like our engagement. You had to write a, a, a writ of divorce if you were going to do away with this plan to get married. This is serious business. And, and Joseph's in a perplexing situation. It is uh, Mary's problem, you would think, but Joseph doesn't necessarily feel that way. He doesn't just leave her. 
He's going to consider putting her away, but in a right way. He is unwilling to put her to shame. This is a definition of love, isn't it? First Corinthians 13, love is not arrogant or rude. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. He resolves to divorce her quietly. It looks in for, for everything he can tell like she has gone astray. She has sinned, but he's not gonna parade it over her. He's not gonna point the finger. He's not taking her to the temple or to the synagogue to be judged. He decides to put her away. And, and there is godly wisdom in what he's done. We need to be careful how we take our steps to handle difficult situations like this. There has to be godly wisdom. You pray about this, you consider this, you go before God and his solution is, I'm gonna put her away. Uh, perhaps he remembered the words from Isaiah in chapter 28. Whoever believes will not be in haste. We don't need to run to cast judgment right away. Some things are cut and clear. You see somebody on the street shoot another person with a gun, you can come to a pretty quick conclusion. But we need to be careful. And Joseph, being a just man, does that. He was going to do it quietly. It almost speaks of him being of a royal demeanor. Well, I say that because in the first 17 verses of this chapter, you see his royal line. And he acts that way here. He's acting like he's from a line of kings in the way he's handling this situation. He was going to do it in a nice, proper way. Well, look at verses 20 and 21 then. We have how Joseph, the earthly father, is gonna deal with this. But here we have the testimony of the angel involved now. As he considered these things, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, does not say which angel it is here. That angel's not named in that verse there. Saying, Joseph, and listen to this, harking back to the first 17 verses, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. It's wonderful how the angel appears here. Now, th this is an ongoing situation, especially in the Gospel of, of Luke. How many times does the angel appear at a significant point in history? We already discussed how the angel came to Zechariah and how <laughs> Zechariah responded to that. Uh, we know the angel comes to Mary. We know that from Luke, and we see something of that here. But especially we see here the angel coming to Joseph. We know in Luke chapter two, the angel comes and then angels come to talk to the shepherds. Uh, if you were here Friday night, you know what lowly men shepherds were in the eyes of society. And the angels come and talk to them about this event. And, and then in Matthew two and beyond that, the angel's gonna come to Joseph in a dream again to tell him what to do with this newborn child in light of the situation around them. You know, apart from angels' visitations, I'm not sure anyone, <coughs> excuse me, would have understood what this birth was all about. Who else do you see in the gospel accounts comes forward with this news about the coming Messiah? It's the angels, the messengers of God, who come with this message. I don't know that anyone else would have understood this. 
I can imagine the puzzlement of Mary if some angel hadn't come and told her. She'd be running crazy. I ain't never got together with Joseph. We haven't done any. There's no other man in my life. What's going on here? Uh, she may have thought it was something other than a child growing in her, perhaps a tumor. I don't know. We can speculate all we want. But the fact is, and we ought not to bypass that, this major significant event goes past what happened in the Old Testament with the many prophets who came and spoke the word of God. These angels are coming directly from heaven to tell them the good news that the Messiah is coming. What a blessing. Mary's puzzlement is going to be taken care of. Joseph's in the dark for a little bit, but he's about to be enlightened as we go along. I don't believe the shepherds would have understand, understood anything about that light over there and what was going on in Bethlehem until the angels came to them in the field. I suppose they could have guessed from a previous prophecy in Isaiah. Surely you remember this, right? Isaiah 7, 14, what is it? The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son. Isaiah wrote that perhaps 700 years before this. We have that, maybe that was in our mind. I don't think we can discount that. After all, when you read the Magnificat, that we heard about this morning, you know this lady, Mary, this young lady had great knowledge of the scriptures. Perhaps she remembered this along the way, not sure. Joseph, perhaps the only thing he could think of was that Mary had been unfaithful and he was gonna quietly put her away. He probably thought that for a time, but he's gonna be straightened out in this thinking. And as I said, the shepherds wouldn't have known unless the angels have come. To Joseph, is given to know the how and why. And it begins there in verse 20. First of all, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. In other words, she's not done anything wrong. She's not done anything to shame your name. More than that, she has not sinned against your God and her God. Don't be afraid to take her. Now, just imagine how faith plays into this. What if somebody said this to you? You know, don't be afraid, this is all right. Or some other situation, do you have the faith to trust in the Lord through a difficult situation, a, a quizzical situation? In our puny minds, we can't figure out what's going on here. Do we have enough faith to trust in the word of God? He says, the angel, do not fear. Okay, what do I do? <laughs> you do like they did in the book of Ruth, sit and see how the matter will fall. Naomi says to Ruth, that's what we need to do sometimes. Just wait and see how things are gonna work out here. We have direction to a certain point from on high. Let's wait upon the Lord. Don't fear. The issue is highlighted here in what's going on. And I spoke to it when I was reading this. Joseph, son of David. This is very important. You look at this Wonderful genealogy. Don't just rush over that. I know we're not reading it today, but we're not doing a study in Matthew uh, for today. Read the names in that. From, <laughs> from Abraham down to David and from David to Jesus, we have these generations outlined for us. And look at the gospel in this genealogy. Why do I say that? Can you figure out? Just glancing at the gene genealogy quickly here. 
Who's involved in these names? What names are here that you wouldn't think should be here? We're talking about the kingly line of the Messiah. Who's there that you wouldn't particularly put in there if you were writing this genealogy? <clears throat> Pardon? Absolutely, Tamar. Ruth. Ruth. Rahab. Yes. These are names where we see the work of the gospel taking place. And that's what the work of this son of Joseph is going to be all about. He is of the son of da he is the son of David. He is of the, of this royal line. This kingly line is emphasized just as it was in this genealogy. Your son, Joseph, is in this kingly line, the line of grace, of salvation. You want evidence? Look at the names of the people here in this genealogy, Joseph. And I believe Joseph would have known about this, would have read this portion of the word of God. This is emphasized. Mary needed an angel in the book of Luke. Joseph needs one here. And he gets a thorough explanation of what's going on. This had to be a message of comfort, don't you think? Joseph, don't worry about this. Don't worry about this. Uh, well, I won't go there, never mind. <laughs> Too many personal illustrations sure change your view of your teacher, so I won't go there. <laughs> but uh, nobody came to me when I was in the waiting room a couple weeks ago, I'll tell you that. <laughs> but the comfort of the Spirit was with us. Then we have the birth of Jesus himself in verse 21. She will bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus. It's a name here, but it's also a mission that's being explained. Why do I say that? What does Jesus signify? Well, it's right there in the verse. He will save his people from their sins. This isn't just his name. This is his mission, I'm telling you, Joseph. I trust that he had the wherewithal to figure that out by the grace of the Holy Spirit and by the words of this angel. This child that you're bearing is not only the name Jesus saves, he's coming. He's coming to save his people from their sins. Now, I don't know, I wasn't there, but I wonder how this resonated with Joseph. His people? My people going to save us from our sins? What a message. What a responsibility. Do you remember the, those of you who are fathers when your first child was born? <laughs> you know, there, there's no turning back. There's no turning it back into the hospital. I'm a dad. What do I got to do now? This is serious. Let's get down to business. Well, he's giving words to go with. And it got more serious than you or I ever experienced when our children were born. This child of yours is going to save people from their sins. You understand, Joseph? And I believe he did. It doesn't say that here. It is the privilege of parents to name their children, isn't it? And I have four sons. I could tell you the history of their names. You might not understand where Kai comes from, for instance. How many of those do you know? Not a lot, but... Uh, we could go into all that. But in the Old Testament, this was uh, an important thing to name your children. And you study the names of the Old Testament. You see what different the names mean there, where they come from, how they got there. 
And probably about the first chore to Adam in the garden was what? Name these animals. I believe that's called, uh, well, what's the word? Uh, Taxonomy, perhaps. Here they come. Adam, name these, name these. You know, if you just dwell upon that, uh, next week we'll be into a new year. Uh, It's my habit to read the whole Bible in a year. Next week I'll begin back in Genesis. You think of what God blessed Adam with an intellect to look at this creature and come up with a name for it. And it's a name we still use in all probability. This is going to be a tiger. (laughs) This is going to be an an aardvark. (laughs) We don't even know how to spell it, let alone how do you come up with a name like that? Think of what Adam, I believe, partially gave up when he sinned. That capability to think in that detail that variety to name all of these animals. This is a, a gracious thing. And uh, my wife and I took this seriously when we named our children. Uh, after all, this is, it's our responsibility, yes, and it's our joy, yes, to name our children. And it was that way here. But guess what, Joseph? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> this is different. You do not get to name this child. Same thing he said to Elizabeth and Zacharias, right? His name will be John. He tells Joseph, his name will be Jesus. Why is that significant? Because God has the authority to intervene, especially in this particular way, in significant markings in redemptive history to do such a thing. He does that many times in the Old Testament. He's doing it here. The child of Elizabeth will be named John. Joseph, I'm telling you, your son is named Jesus. There's no arguing that Joseph doesn't doesn't balk at this. He's going to follow through and do it. This is a specific redemptive and historical birth taking place. Not only A, this is the most significant and historical event taking place in redemptive history, the birth of Jesus Christ. I'm sorry, but you will not have the opportunity to name this child. He's gonna be called Jesus. Uh, Got that? (laughs) God took that privilege for himself. Why? Because this was his. John was given to Elizabeth, not because she was crying her eyes out necessarily for not being able to birth a son, but because God gave her one, but it was God's child that he entrusted to her. And Mary and Joseph, in an even more elevated way, you are being trusted with this child, the very son of God. I will tell you what to call him. I will tell you how to rear him. I will tell you where to rear him, etc., etc. This This was what was going on in Luke one thirteen. if you remember when we studied that. This child belonged to him. He will have the same name that means Jehovah saves. Does that fall into your mind, Joseph? Does that mean anything to you? He will not, believe it or not, conform to the popular ideas of messianic expectations. Let me read to you briefly from the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 53. 
in this explanation of the coming Messiah. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, and we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Is this the Messiah they were looking for? More than likely, no. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. We want him to come and destroy the Roman Empire. Instead, he's being crushed, but it's for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is a Messiah? Yes. God's ways are not our ways. And so many times in life, I trust you have experienced that. Uh, we experience that in different ways and sometimes in big ways. This is the biggest, if you will. This birth will not conform to perhaps what was being taught in the synagogue about the coming Messiah. Now, it doesn't happen that way. It happens God's way. And we need to, to think about that. You know, in Matthew 13, they ask the question, is not this the carpenter's son? When they get to know Jesus a little bit. This is the son of the carpenter. Is not his mother called Mary? We know her, this young lady. She's from a <laughs> no place, a no family. Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not his sisters with us? Where did this man get all these things? Talking about what Jesus is teaching and doing in his ministry. See, this is not like people thought. This is not like, this helps me explain. One of our grandchildren were with us one Sunday and my one Mark, he's older now, uh, saw me, I always take notes in the, to the sermon and he took the bulletin, was crossing things off as we did them got to the sermon, he could put his pen down. <laughs> he got done preaching and Mark said, where does he get all these things? <laughs> now I, I, I know what to tell him. You know, they did this to Jesus too. Pastor Phillips gets these from preaching the word of God. People ask when Christ came and taught, where does he get these things? How does he do these things? It's a good question if you're really seeking to believe. But in this case with the Religious rulers at that time weren't doing that. And Luke 2 and verse 7 we read, she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Pastor alluded to that Friday night too, about the wrapping of the clothes, about the righteousness that was with Jesus Christ. Uh, for some more of that, you could turn to Psalm 130 and read a picture of Jesus Christ that we won't go over right now. But it's not like the religious leaders at this time thought it would be. This is our Messiah. And the truth is, even the 12 who followed him all the way to the cross weren't sure what was going on. You know, is this really going to happen? And Peter even says, God forbid, you know, that this would happen. They don't quite understand. So it's not surprising. Well, let me show you in the next place in verses 22 and 23, the fulfilling of this prophecy. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel. 
Well, you say, what, what? that's no big deal. We know that. But it was a big deal because at this time, this solidifies the message. Everything you've been learning, Joseph, Mary, from the Old Testament, from the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled in this child. He is the Messiah. He is coming to do this. And it's why he's gonna be called Emmanuel, God with us. Manifest in the flesh, the union of two natures here. The God man, the one who always, almost always referred to himself as son of man. He is God who is united with man. What a message this is. Okay, Joseph, this is why you're not involved in the creation of this child per se. It's the Holy Spirit because it's gonna be a holy child. And look at the, the uplifting message in the second name given to him, Emmanuel, God with us, God with us. John three seventeen, we read, for God did not send his son into the world to content, condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. When you read the rest of the gospels past the birth here, you see evidences of what we're talking about. We see the human nature. Jesus grows weary. He's hungry sometimes and asks the disciples to go get food. We know the story of how tired he was that he fell asleep on a boat in the middle of a storm. And the disciples came, woke don't you care that we perish? But we also see his spiritual, his godly side. He knew men's minds. He told Judas, what you do, go and do quickly. He told Peter, before the cock crows, you know, you'll deny me three times. He told other men, it's okay if you called me God. He never corrected anybody who referred to him as God. Because he accepted that, he was God. He was God in the flesh. We have evidence of that. We have a great evidence of that in the hymn we sang. Did we sing it Friday night? You remember it. Hark the herald angels sing. Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come. Offspring of the virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Veiled in flesh, the deity come together and he's Emmanuel, God with us. You know that when you go through difficulties in life, I can't tell you how important it is to hold on to that. God didn't just save us, he is with us. He has given us his Holy Spirit. We're not sitting idly by all by ourselves. No matter what uh, Elijah thought at one time, uh, he doesn't leave us, he is with us. He's with us in joy and sorrow. You can find that in the passage we read in Isaiah 53. He is with us in temptation. I'll never forget the time uh, pastor, I was going to a church in Glen Burnie, Maryland. I was home for a vacation from college and uh, didn't know how to witness to my, do my dad. So I had a pastor come and my dad said to him, well, I, I just know I can't do all these things. I can't be that good. And he referred him to that great passage in 1 Corinthians 10. 
and I think it's a 13 or 31, I get them. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is with you to get you through that temptation. He's with us. He'll get us through it. He's with us in our spiritual warfare. We sometimes see that. I saw that we saw a, a, a little glimmer of that in our last general assembly where people are bringing forward uh, resolutions that are against the word of God if they believe it or not. He's with us in our spiritual warfare and he is with us to the end. He said that and you know, we think of the great commission in Matthew 28, but don't miss the last part of that. And he is with us. He's with us always, even unto the end. <laughs> Why? Because his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Let me, let me finish with the, Dr. Boyce, the mentor for our pastor, wrote a, a great little uh, message on about this name, Jesus. He wrote this, uh, just hold on, I'll go quickly. <laughs> but grab a couple of these out of the air and dwell on them. There are many names for Jesus. The Bible is full of them. He is the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, the Ancient of Days. He is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is the Anointed One, the Messiah. He is the Prophet and the Priest. He is the Savior, the only wise God, our Savior. He is our wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. He is the almighty. He is the Lord. He is the door of the sheep, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, the shepherd and bishop of our souls. He is the lamb, the lamb without spot or blemish, the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. He is the logos, the logos, the light, the light of the world, the light of life, the tree of life, the word of life, the bread that came down from heaven the spring which if a person drink of it, he will never thirst again. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the resurrection, the resurrection, and the life. He is our rock, our bridegroom, our beloved. He is our redeemer. He is the one who is altogether lovely. He is the head over all things, which is his church. He is the head of all things, which is his body. He is God with us, Emmanuel. But above all, he is Jesus. What a name, what a name. Any questions or comments? Yes, sir. I just want to point out evidently Adam spoke Latin because all the names of the animals and everything are in Latin. <laughs> <laughs> Could we have a church historian report back to us next week on that? <laughs> Wayne, would you dismiss us in prayer, please? Heavenly Father, what a joy to come together this um, morning after the celebration of your incarnation in Christ. We pray your blessings upon us and those that we have lifted up in prayer for their healing. Again, oh Lord, we lift up Malcolm and Carol and many others that rejoice and prize um, good news of his recovery. We pray your blessings upon us and especially our families, Father. We pray for those within our families that are still on the fence, that uh, have not indicated uh, clarity as to uh, your position in their hearts. And we pray by your Holy Spirit that you will draw them in the saving faith. And we thank you this morning. Thank you for living in South Carolina, the beautiful skies, the good weather. 
blessings on our nation this coming year. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.